This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it's been seven months since the Taliban took over in Afghanistan, and the scope of the humanitarian crisis there is now being recognized. Jamila Alif and Omar Kaiwan, with a beacon of hope for Afghan Children's Society, give us some insight on what families are facing in the country, what they need, and how Canadians can step up to help them. People sell their organs, their kidneys, to get money to feed their children. Also on the podcast, we have a conversation with Shift Heads on what love means to you. Plus, we start Valentine's Day 2022 with a little bit of love and insight, including an impactful call from Bill from Hamilton. Plus, are you okay with The Price is Right? Of course we are. This is The Shift Podcast. I had a question for you. How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you you make it work? Um, I know this. I know we do. We get research, right, that tells us um, who's listening to the shift and how many people are listening and, and, um, and how old you are. And that's what marketing does in this world today. So I know that the core of our audience are people who are working, who are, you know, 30 to 50 years old and, and, uh, and all that. That's the large core of our shift head community. Uh, there's this real special bunch too, though, that are older and 60, 70, 80 years old in the research. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you, how do you make it work? How have you made it work? What is the secret? What is the lesson learned? What is the best love ever? Because I want to know, I truly want to know from you, uh, if you can share that little nugget that maybe helps somebody get through a tough time in their relationship. Man, I can't imagine. I mean, I've been divorced now. This is my ninth year coming up. And after this year is done, it's, it's, I'm going to be, have, have been divorced as long as I was married. I don't like divorce. I don't recommend divorce. I don't want anybody to, uh, to get divorced. I want people to work it out. And yes, divorce works. People change. Sometimes relationships don't work out. But I think for the most part, you know, statistically speaking, when half of it doesn't work of that, most people would rather not give up, rather not lose their way. So please share with me your secrets to successful relationships, 877-399-9898. And I thought I would start out the conversation about, you know, you know, what is love really? And I wanted to give this, I wanted to give this to you. I used to think I knew what love was. I did. I had this romantic notion that somehow love was around giving and receiving transactional almost you do this for me i do this for you high five good teamwork and i've learned over time as i've grown up and matured and i'm sure as i look back on this conversation 10 years from now that i will again reevaluate and have learned so much more love to me now is so different than it was when i was younger I always wanted somebody who was successful. It served my vanity. I wanted somebody who, you know, was popular, served my ego. And it turns out that when you stop chasing love, you realize that it's with you all the time. You see, love is not a thing to chase. And love is a thing to share with people, not to find. We often say, I want to find true love. I used to run around like a squirrel collecting nuts. 
These flickers of light that I used to chase, call them shiny things, was the next big thing for me. The next thing to stimulate me. Turns out I realized I was just sort of consuming all of the pieces of this life. And I realized through an awful lot of work and counseling and help and study that the flickers of light that I was chasing were just reflections of myself. Just reflections of the gifts I was given. Those lights that you see that are bouncing around you that you think are so interesting are just reflections of you and how great you are. Once you can realize that the beacon of that light is you and me, then you can start to find clarity of what love is. Love is something to give to other people. It's a service, but it's not a service like I used to think it was. What I've been so grateful to have introduced to me in my life with Melanie is the service to yourself, right? That when you serve everything that you need to try to figure out in your life, you know, the good, the bad, the dreams, the struggles, the fears, the baggage, and when you work on that, then you can give your true self to somebody else. And I can tell you this, listening is an awful lot different when you can listen with a clear heart to what someone else is going through, you lose that expectation of ego, of that expectation of vanity. And it turns out that the people that get attracted to you into your life are beautiful and successful and wonderful people. So love is, is so different than I thought it was. I always thought love was a contract. Love isn't a contract. Love isn't the paper you sign or the vows that you make to each other. It's in the little tiniest moments of integrity. That's what love is now to me. I realize to some of you that might sound incredibly hippy-dippy, and that's okay. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful gift to have it in your life. I have never been so peaceful in my heart as in those moments. And I've also learned that Love is not something that you have to go to. It's not something that you have to have, you know, in that moment, maybe that moment of physical intimacy or conversation or holding hands or whatever it is. You get to have that anytime, anywhere. It has nothing to do with that person. I mean, yes, maybe on your energy level and your soul, that soulmate sort of romantic notion of love that that's a deep connection. You can have that all the time. You can have that when you open the door for someone who is your elder at the mall. You can have that when you see somebody who's hungry and you give them an apple. You can have that by just being polite and customer service when you phone to get help with something. And that's why I wanted to just talk about what is true love to you. Being in a couple that was struggling before the pandemic, I can only imagine what that was like for you. I was lucky I found love during the pandemic. And I will do whatever it takes to not give that up. And I don't mean fighting to keep it. It's that if you set it free, cliche, but to literally find the integrity of all the things that I screw up and I'm terrible with and find my way. 877-399-9898. What have you learned about it? What is your secret? I know a few of you have got some secrets about how you're successful in love and they can be incredibly simple um, <laughs> like through 
through the through the stomach or or whatever laughter i want to know what it is for you i I think ours is cooking actually which we'll talk about coming up in a little bit because we're going to talk about some love cooking as we try to emerge from the pandemic though and we'll get your text messages and calls queued up here about what is love for you here's a story about love a former hockey player from saskatchewan and his dutch girlfriend are pretty much doing the opposite thing about that we're all trying to do, which is go back to normal. They are creating a whole new world. And I don't know about you, but I often think about now moving into the woods to live in a log cabin off grid. That to me is very appealing in today's world. Ryan's shaking his head in our Zoom call right there. He's like, yep. So this former hockey player from Saskatchewan, his girlfriend from the Netherlands, are pretty much doing just that. They beat out all kinds of other applicants to become caretakers together of an uninhabited island off the coast of Ireland to find love. The shot at Timson, a star, Brock Montgomery. In a decade of minor league hockey, Brock Montgomery scored plenty of goals and threw his fair share of punches too. And there's going to be a fight. Montgomery was... Off the ice, he practiced yoga and mindfulness to deal with the stress. Playing professionally in the Netherlands, he met Claire de Haas. Travelling together just before the pandemic, Claire saw a job ad. Caretakers wanted for summer cottages on a small Irish island. I showed Brock immediately and then he said, where can we apply? And we applied the next day. The only problem, thousands of others did too. And then COVID-19 hit, stranding them on an Indonesian island. It was kind of surreal because we had the island... uh to ourselves for a little bit there. (laughs) Something that'll never happen again. They stayed there for months and volunteered before heading to Canada and back to Europe. This year, a few weeks ago, we got a message from them if we were still in and we immediately said yes. Now, as restrictions ease for the rest of us, Brock and Claire are going into self-imposed exile off the grid for six months. So there'll be a solar panel that gives us enough to charge our phone and our laptop and stuff like that. Um, and they bring food to us every day. Although solar panels may only go so far in an Irish summer. Claire's always joking that we're not made of sugar. She's Dutch, so yeah. <laughs> so we're expecting we're expecting some rain. Seclusion has perhaps one major challenge for any couple. <laughs> it's like we're not we're not leaving, so we have to, just have to get used to it and enjoy. It. Not kill each other. <laughs> that mindfulness training may come in very handy. And if Brock ever feels homesick, he can just squint into the Atlantic sunset over the next island over, known here as the Sleeping Giant. Next stop, Canada. Redmond Shannon Global News, London. It's a beautiful story. There are all kinds of couples can do that. They can go into business together, right? They can move out to an island together and they can do that. And there's other people that want to see each other once every two and a half weeks. I mean, love's different for everybody and we can't judge it. 877-399-9898. Catherine says, what do I do? I write about love. Happy Valentine's night. Uh, Keep up the good fight because it makes us shine like diamonds. Don't forget to love extra with the needy. In doing so, it's loving you and I. We will shine on the biggest ring of all. When love is dimming, shift heads know we all know to shine on the darkest nights. Shine like a diamond ring. That's beautiful. Thank you, Catherine. Bill's in Hamilton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Shane. What's going on, buddy? It's nice to hear from you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I know that you've shared with us before. Yeah, your uh, story about getting sober, you've shared with us before. And um, yeah. and this one hits you I, here I on, on Valentine's Day, right? Reasons. I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, I got sober 24 years ago on February 16th. 
and it it took me a long time. It took me a long time to get sober. To, to, to get it took me three or four times or three or four attempts to get there. When I finally did, I started to learn about me, like you were saying. You start to learn about your feelings and your emotions. I went through some bad divorces, and I, I wanted that woman that from the sleepless in Seattle or the you got mail or something. You, you know those, mm. you know the Tom Hanks thing. You look in their eyes and that's it. You know, and they complete your sentences. I was going through a divorce in Canada almost 13 years ago, and I met that woman. And to, to, today, right now, she, you know, she completes my thoughts. She completes me. She completes everything about me, you know, and about the whole alcoholism thing. The, the, the other reason I call in is my brother passed away on Friday oh, from sorry, alcoholism. No. He was living in the States, 57 years old, oh, dear. young. And I think about the guy that used to call in all the time, that he fell off the wagon once or twice, but he got back up and he kept going. I, I forget his name. I want to say it was Chris. Peter or Mike or it was, Chris. It was Chris, yep. And it's, Chris, you got to keep going because everything is out there, whether it's love or whether it's just a job or whether it's you've, you, you've got to keep going. The alcohol got my brother, you know, and uh, yeah. it's a shame. He didn't get to well, experience what I'm experiencing now. Well, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your brother, Bill. Um, but I, I, um, and I hear that it affects you clearly. And I'm going to ask you to sort of talk about, you know, your gratitude around around love today. Could you have ever have imagined when you were in that fog before of of a lack of uh, acknowledging emotions and the drinking and all the other things that were going on? Could you ever have imagined this outcome? No, never, never in a never in a million years. You always. You, you go to those AA meetings and you hear about how your life gets better and you'll find love and you'll find the one. And I, I was five, six, seven years before I went on a day. I, I couldn't imagine that being out there because it wasn't out there. And I look at back now. We were, I took her for dinner yesterday and I said, you're the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life. And even though everything that we're going through right now, I said I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change nothing because my life is so incredible right now. I'm not a millionaire. I don't, I'm not driving the greatest car in the world. And I'm out here in the middle of the night delivering newspapers to make ends meet. Yeah. But I got the best woman in the world standing behind me. Oh, thank you very much, Bill. I'm going to take your cue there and say, you know, the biggest piece that I can give you that I've discovered in my journey with this will be um, to share that, you know, you don't have to find love. Uh, you really don't. You just have to be love and and live into that every day and once you can find it once you can find it with yourself to be in it you're going to fall out of it and you're going to screw it up and you, you know all those things but once you commit to living your life that way you're going to attract those people that live it as well and the feeling you get when you have someone that hits you like that um that sort of like you described bill finishes your sentences or your thoughts it's an amazing feeling. It doesn't mean you agree and it doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that there's a there's just a connection and you know maybe synchronicity uh, that lands there. Bill, thank you very much for sharing the story. I'm so sorry about your brother. Thank you. Have a, you have a good night. Before you go, Bill, I want to uh, tell you one thing. Remember last time we were on the air and we talked about impact because you shared about your daughter? Yep. Um I just got a text from Chris and he says, "Thank you, Bill. I will." So there you go. There's your impact again. You did it again, Bill. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shane. Thank, thank you, Bill. 
877-399-9898. Thank you, Chris, for sharing your heart with us, too. And, Bill, um, yeah, you know, we often look at love as, as being this perfect thing, but it's not. It's not what we think it is. It really isn't. It's a way of being all day, every day. And that's why Valentine's Day doesn't matter and matters all at the same time. It doesn't matter because you need to be this all the time. I need to be this all the time. Even when I have someone call into the show or we're dealing with things that we don't agree with and they suck, you still somehow have to find love. And I wanted to share with you before we go the, um, the, the, the dream for me is very simple. And I tell this to Melanie all the time. This is a look inside my, my personal life is that I always say to Mel that I want the best conversations and the hardest conversations all to be able to be had with the same tone with your head on my shoulder. Whether we agree, disagree, they're heavy, they're hard, they're surprises, or they're the most wonderful. Because that to me is what love is, is the ability to just be there um, truly with yourself and with your partner too. This is the Shift Podcast. Afghanistan is a, it's a strange place, isn't it? If you look at the history of Afghanistan, at least from the lens that I've been given as a Western world person, you know, it's been a place of turmoil for a really long time. I almost feel dusty talking about Afghanistan, right? There's this been picture that's been painted for us that it is this dusty third world place that um, it's a privilege that we, we give it our time. And I, I, just, I just don't think that's the case. I just I think that's a silly narrative that's been presented to us in the Western world, Canadians in general. And yet we've seen it's been such a pivotal point of so many things that go on in the world. And that's what has me curious. Why is it that it's this place that has had these wars? Why is it is this is it this place that seems so integral yet that everybody goes there to fight for something, but nobody seems to figure it out. So I have two guests that join me here to have conversation. Omar Kaiwan and Jamila Alif, both born in Afghanistan, but two still very different stories and um, and here to chat with us today. So Jamila, tell me your family story because I, I think it's really, I'm excited to hear um, the perspective of coming to Canada from Afghanistan, because that to me must be mind blowing. You know, we're worried about, you know, uh, having, you know, oh my God, they don't have my favorite cut of meat in the store. And yet, um, when you were raised as a kid, it was completely different. And I imagine as a woman, also different. Um, yes. Well, thank you for having us on your show, first of all. Um, yeah. So I came here when I was a kid with my family. Um, I think it was just a, a shock. I think cultural shock is the first thing. Uh, not really understanding at that point why we had to leave uh, fully um, and then being here in a whole kind of different country. But thankfully, I had family here that was already established. That made it a lot easier, um, you know, going to schools. It was already kind of set up for me in that sense. So that just the transition was a lot easier. But I think it was just harder for my parents. They had to leave a lot of what they knew, uh, their home, their stuff, and come into this other world. And my mom, who did not speak the language, uh, all of that was really tough for her to understand the different norms and cultures. Um, and also to say bye to her side of the family there because she didn't. Yeah. yeah, I imagine. So as a young person, you probably remember more so the stories that we were told. Have you talked to your mom and said, you know, what was it like when you set foot in this place with, you know, endless paved roads and red lights and grocery stores versus what you knew in Afghanistan? That must have just been 
just so shocking to her system, especially if she didn't speak English. Yes, my dad thankfully did. Uh, he had traveled in his youth, but my mom did not. So for her, it was completely different. Um, I did talk to her and I do remember like some major um, events. Like, you know, we had to go at one point to the airport because we moved, we came to Ontario. Then from Ontario, we came to Vancouver. And when we made that uh, flight, it was just my mom and my sisters and none of us spoke English. And so to this day, she will remember that about you know, walking down the airport and not understanding where she was going or what the gates were. And then as soon as she saw the first member of our family in Vancouver, she starts crying because she was like, oh, thank God I'm not in somewhere out of place. Um, So amazing. Yeah. So for her, it it was toughest, I would say. Yeah. I imagine when the cold air hits, I mean, it's good. It's not warm in Afghanistan all the time, but it depends on where you are. But the, um, but I mean, like some of the cold air in Canada, like something as simple as cold air hitting your face and that, that, what have I done? That's actually moment. why we moved to Vancouver. We didn't, my parents I moved bet. to Ontario and they're like, oh, okay, there's way too much snow. <laughs> we <laughs> cannot last here. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Okay. Also from Afghanistan, Omar, tell me about your story. Uh, yeah. So uh, very similar to Jamila, I guess, to some extent, but uh, I came here when I was 14 years uh, of age um and 13 14 uh along along that I, and it was end of uh, 1999 when i came here so not knowing a word of english myself um going to show you know it's mine is a bit of a funny story because i showed up grade nine um with a pink backpack so you can only imagine you know wow. the culture when we're talking yeah. about the culture differences you know uh and not knowing anything that's uh um that's kind of where it started from so yeah, um, I've, I've lived in, in Vancouver. Vancouver has always been home, or Lower Mainland, I should say, um, since then, and uh, 20-some-odd years now. And uh, um, that's how it started. For us, we, we flew the war, obviously, just like most Afghans. Um, mm-hmm. We lived through the Mujahideen regime, the Taliban regime, and the, the first sort of invasion that happened. Uh, migrated over to Pakistan. Uh, lived in Pakistan for a number of years and were able to get our family in Canada to sponsor us uh, as a uh, sponsorship, uh, family sponsorship program um, and get us to to Canada. So that's how it started for, for my family and I. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, now, just to be clear, you guys are non-political in your strife, uh, in your, your, your what you strive for here. Beacon of Hope for Afghan Children Society is a non-profit, non-political Canadian charity. And it's volunteers in BC. Uh, you know, Afghans live all across Canada. So, um, but you guys are in BC trying to make connections. And I know that food is a, one of the biggest one, hunger. And I'll get you to tell me some of the stats so we understand what's going on in Afghanistan. And you must be reminded of this. When you walk in the grocery store, I mean, you see all these pretty colors. You must remember from your childhood, um, you know, what this used to look like versus what we see here and then what is still going on in Afghanistan. Omar, tell me, tell me about the food and the hunger. Absolutely. I mean, we are dealing with severe starvation and famine right now in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, Um, the country and the economy uh, in my, in my opinion has collapsed. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we're hearing in the headlines in the media that it is on the brink of a collapse, but I think it has collapsed completely. Um, because there's is that like structures just access to food trucking like the basics of infrastructure um and money i mean nobody's working right now i mean the the all the people all the teachers all the people that worked in the government and the ministries they're all jobless and there's no 
money coming in. And as we all know, and from the headlines for the last few days that, you know, uh, assets have been frozen. So there's nothing going inside Afghanistan right now. So yes, it's, it's the trucking, it's infrastructure, but it's also the money that is, you know, um, it's the basic needs in the hospitals, the basic needs in the hospital and the ability for people to actually buy food. And, you know, so that is the issue that we're dealing with. I mean, Beacon of Hope for Agri and Children's Society actually started um, by a friend of mine, Farzan Joya, who's still with us 16 years ago. Um, I joined a couple of years later and uh, we have been working in Afghanistan ever since. Our focus is a children, uh, healthcare, education system. Um, I've traveled a few times um, uh, to Afghanistan on behalf of our society to execute some of our programs. Uh, all our board members uh, and volunteers at some point had the opportunity to travel, the ones that wanted to. And um, But uh, we are right now dealing with a humanitarian crisis because there's 22 million. I mean, reportedly there's 22 million, but we think it's more, more than that. Uh, Afghans right now that are dealing with starvation. Um, there are 5 million children under the age of five that could be dead because they don't have enough food to eat. So mm. it's a massive crisis. And it's not necessarily just the guilt of going to the grocery store. Unfortunately for us, because of our connection, because the fact that we do have, for some of us, maybe family, friends, people that we work with, um, we actually have um, organizations that we've hired in Afghanistan right now that are executing some of the programs on our behalf. So through them, when we do ask for assessments, we do hear horror stories of things that are happening right now every single day. Um, And it's completely different than what perhaps what we hear in media to some extent, but our connection is, is every hour for, for, you know, like there's just messages coming through of families who are in dire need of, of food and they're selling their children or, you know, selling their kidneys or whatever it may be to make ends meet. So, you know, if they have four children, they're okay to sell one just so they they could feed the other three. And as a parent, that is just my absolute worst nightmare. I mean, that is just horrifying to say the least. I mean, I I can't imagine what would that feel like. Yeah, I can't imagine. Jamila, tell me about it, because I think the number was one in 16. So tell me what that looks like for the kids. Um, selling children, I don't even know what that looks like. I'm afraid to ask, frankly, um, but and we're here, so we might as well talk about it. Yeah, I think like there's a lot of maybe just confusion sometimes. People just assume that like, oh, they just kind of like, they seem heartless. Like, how could you do that as a parent um, in that moment and sell your child? Like, I would never do that. But then you have to ask yourself, what would you do if you're staying at your whole family starving, right? In that moment, and you don't have much well, options. I would like to add to that. I mean, keep in mind that even in the Western world, you know, 100 years ago, families had extra kids yeah. because they knew that illness was going to kill off a couple of them statistically. Yeah. So they're yeah. like, well, let's have six and hopefully three make it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is. It's. I, I think it's a human. I think we need to just drill that one down to the. It's yeah. a human thing. Yeah. And, um, and it's very real for not just not just there. Yeah. And like when you see it on social media, on the news, I think there's a lot of blame on the families. Um, And so then I ask myself, is like, are they held accountable in that moment Um, if they're selling their kidneys or they're selling their children because they have to feed the rest of them? And so I think you just have to kind of take that into perspective um, and, you know, ask yourself, like, who is taking the photos and who is profiting in this sense? And, you know, um, who should we be looking to to be held accountable for this? Not just the families directly that have to do what they have to do at this point. 
So I think that comes to it. And just um, a lot of times it's, uh, I think the recent one that I read, it was uh, a mom. She didn't know that the dad did it. Uh, I think she was like really hurt that they sold their daughter, but, and cause he brought home some bread. And I think she asked like, how did you get that? And she's, and he just said, I had to sell one of the girls and she so didn't even know. What does selling look like? Is it like human trafficking? Is it into sex trade or is selling as a wife? What does that look like? I think it's mostly selling as a wife. Um, and usually what happens is the girls uh, sometimes stay home until puberty. So they stay in their current family until the age of marriage. Um, and then at that point, they're given. Um, and it could be maybe they're, they're given to the families to help serve the families um, when, when they're like, right. you know, at, at their home or it could be marriage. Well, so it could be slavery. Well, I guess in essence, it's sort of slavery on both sides, I suppose. Let's just call yeah. it for what it is. Yeah. Um, there, what, what do you need from me today? Let me ask you that question, because here we are. I mean, beacon of hope for Afghan Children's Society. It's not like I can set aside, um, you know, some bananas and send them to Afghanistan. So what, Omar, do you guys look for to create a result here? What do you need from, from me and from other Canadians to know? Um, there, there, that's a great question. Thank you for, for asking that. There are a few things. I mean, first and foremost, we are a Canadian non-for-profit operating in Afghanistan. Even today, we have been able to somehow miraculously through our network of people that we know continue the, our campaigns and operation. And we've kind of switched gears and really try to get money into Afghanistan. So these families don't have to sell their children. And actually we've bought, groceries for for families um we just finished a campaign where we raised thirty thousand dollars canadian and we were able to buy 167 families three months of groceries so at least they have some food to eat what a difference that must make hey sorry what a difference that must make exactly so that's that's our number one priority right now is to try to you know we're not waiting for the the world or the the the, the world with uh, the countries with authority or power or politics to 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 take the we're trying to mobilize people and urge them to think about the people of Afghanistan who are suffering right now in these humanitarian crises and what we can do to help and the simplest format is to go to bohsociety.org and donate whatever you can donate and so that's that's Kind of number one. Number two, for us, it's 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 really understanding what is happening right now from in Afghanistan from a humanitarian perspective. There's a lot that we can do. You know, that could be putting pressure on your MLA, on your your local government, whatever that may be, and having a dialogue in terms of what is actually. I mean, we have abandoned Afghanistan since August 16th of 2021. Like you said at the beginning of this conversation, somehow we we're able to bring and evacuate dogs, but not enough humans. So- well, let me ask you about that. How does that feel? I mean, it's nice. I love dogs. I have a dog. I just adopted a dog a couple of months ago. So, I mean, it's very nice to save the dogs. But when you're talking about families that are hungry, a plain load of dogs. I mean, I don't want to sound cold and callous and, and all those things, but I choose the humans. I'm sorry. I, a dog to me is a dog. I mean, I've had the unicorn of sparkles and rainbows, perfect pet dog in the history of dogs. I have a fantastic one now, but I was still will choose the animals over, or excuse me, I will still choose the dogs. I got that wrong again. I will still choose the humans over the animals. I will. And I don't, how does that land when you guys are trying to get groceries to people and somehow a plane load of dogs can make it from Afghanistan? You know, just, just as a, having a conversation with friends for me personally, it's, it's, it's a punch in the gut. Yeah. Really. It's, it's just, 
it's it's sad it's it's the the feeling of helplessness and desperation and yeah. yet seeing the prioritization being completely out of whack yeah it's like it's so it's great but it's also terrible it at is. the same time you know you know we 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 um we might be getting a dog soon because my daughter just won't stop talking about it so <laughs> it's a very dad thing to say by yeah, the way. exactly so uh, we know who runs this household that's um, right yep got it but you know at the same token i mean we're talking about children i mean there's thousands of children right now in the only children's hospital in afghanistan that does not have any medicinal supplies to be able to help these children I mean, the situation we're dealing with after 20 years we to be in this place and the world who has turned its back on Afghanistan and for, for these people to be suffering and to be at these moments of desperation where they're willing to sell their children, their, their kidneys, their organs to be able to make ends meet. And here we are, you know, bringing in planes of dogs versus you know helping some of these yeah. people it's just it's just it's just it's it's gut-wrenching well, it's, i'm gonna say it's selfish I, i'll call it what it is it's selfish for us as canadians to worry about dogs uh, because we're, think, we're appeasing to our romance romanticization of the pet sorry jamila go, no, ahead. go ahead i also think like it just takes the value away from a human life because we're placing value more uh on the animal and it's not to say that oh you know dogs are not important or they don't matter they do for sure but like what about a human life i think isn't yeah. that something that we should prioritize or a child's life um and I think like that's where it is. And especially when it's like, oh, um, a brown human life, a poor human life, one that yeah, is in Afghanistan, right? Like yeah. that value is way less compared to yeah. um, animals. It strikes Badly. me with poor. Yeah. Um, you know, it strikes me with poor. Absolutely. Um, uh, because that's how we look at it. Now, uh, I we can't avoid this conversation without talking about the, the, the women here. I mean, as a woman... Um, Jamila, who you spent your teen years in Canada, so you've grown up, but at the same time, you had an Afghan, is it Afghan speaking? Is, is that the language called Afghani? Uh, Dari. Or Dari. Dari. So you yeah. have a Dari speaking mom, and uh, I never knew that. So th- that's not something new for me today. Um, and yet you're looking at your life today versus your mom's life, right? You're looking at um, the, the other women that you knew, and you've been given this chance to do life differently. Yeah. Um, this same conversation for the children, this must strike you a little differently than it does Omar. No offense, Omar, but this one's got to hit differently for Jamil. Um, well, so I had the privilege of going back in 2017, and I think that really uh, opened my eyes to another level to just go back home and see family and see people. But then also you come back with so much guilt. You see someone else that looks just like you, but you're here and they're there. That's just it. Right. You see yourself in so many different uh possibilities and so so many different lives um and as my mom like you know growing up the number one thing she always had said is the one thing i don't want for my daughter is to experience the life that i had and that's wow. it like that that from like since i was five i've heard that from her right so it's it's tough it's tough to imagine moms telling their moms back home similar things or their kids back home similar things or their daughters that can't go to school uh can't work so yeah, I can hear the emotion. Thank you uh, for sharing that. I, you know, when you look at what is equality and what is humanity and and all these things, I mean, most of us as parents today, as I've grown up in my life, I I want to create things where my kids can have my life plus more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And to hear you say from your mom, 
um, Jamila, that she basically wants you to have nothing to do with her life. Yes. That's a stark contrast. And I think that should hit all of us for all of us that are listening to your conversation and here, you know, I want my kids to have everything that I had plus more. And we're talking about a woman who came to you and said, I want you to have nothing what I had. In fact, right. Just take, take our, the beauty of our culture and move along like that. That's a pretty darn grounding. Omar, um, as we wrap up here, tell me, tell me again, the website, uh, and the contact and, and what you need from me today. Absolutely. Our website is, uh, bohsociety.org. Uh, we're a Canadian non-for-profit charity, um, donations of $20 or more are, um, they, they qualify to get a tax receipt and tax deductible. Um, Basically, any donations you can give right now to help us send food uh, or um, to or to buy food for families in Afghanistan would be greatly appreciated. We are run by 100% by volunteers. 100% of the proceeds goes directly to Afghanistan. This is something that we all do in what we call what I call our night shift. When everybody comes back from their office or whatever their their work is, you should. That's we start working around 7:30, 8 p.m. every single night, Monday to Friday to make this happen. So, um, yeah, if you want to help the people of Afghanistan who are in desperate, desperate need, uh, please visit our website, bohsociety.org and donate. This is, um, one thing that I often ask here on the shift is for what's going on in your world, reach out at it's the shift.ca. Tell us what you, how we can help you. You know, what do we want to share? And, and Jamila, thank you for reaching out to us and sharing your story with us because um, I will invite you now. Um, I'll let you connect with Ryan on when. I think I would like to, you know, keep this conversation just in front of everybody, all the shift heads. It's a group. It's a it's community of people at nighttime. And so I would like to keep this conversation in front of them. So please accept my um, my invitation to do that. And thank you for, for reaching out to us. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you for your response. Really appreciate that as well. Awesome. Yeah. All right. This is Omar Kaiwan and Jamila Alif, uh, both born in Afghanistan, living in Canada on the West Coast because they're too soft for real winter. Fair enough to say that. Um, uh, and it's bohsociety.org. Uh, important, incredibly important. Thank you both. Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with Ryan O'Donnell, Brendan Kelly, I'm Shane Hewitt. Are you okay with The Price is Right? Ooh, yeah. With Bob Barker. I mean, it was, but Drew does a good job, but it's just, it's still not Bob. I think I saw maybe one episode with Bob. Like, Drew took over when I was a kid watching that show. That was like, if you got home early from school, you could catch The Price is Right and you were going to have a nice day. You were going to have a nice day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. All right, BK, I'm, I'm sure that your oh, TV probably yeah. gave off some weird microwaves and you didn't go close to it or something, but... Though I've watched TV, I it was the best part of calling in sick to school. Call, did you know what you did with school? That sounds like a work thing. Calling in <laughs> of being off sick from school was being able to watch The Price is Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like if anybody was to call in sick to school, it would be, hello, Mrs. Teacher Lady. This is Brendan Kelly. I'm not going to be able to come into school today. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, I did. Sorry, I just went into this. They just imagined. I would love to rewind in time and meet Brendan Kelly from you know twenty years ago, because I imagine he was still being like bald 
and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. And no. being exactly the same, just smaller. I, 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 I was the same. Like, I've been the same since I've been about, like, four, three, even. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. <laughs> even yeah. I didn't even cry as a, as a like, a infant, apparently. My well, mom no, I am displeased. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, was, I'm pretty sure I was just probably was surly and was just frowning at things, but I didn't cry. <laughs> Call the manager. I am disappointed in this service. <laughs> this chef is terrible. Oh, man. Um, the price is right. I love the show. It's fun. It's been a part of so many generations. But imagine if you actually had a chance to be on The Price is Right. How cool would that be? That's right, Bob. You get called up on stage. Drew Carey gets you to play a colorful game about money. Oh, I'd like to spin the wheel, though. Right? Oh, yeah. That'd be the best part. That would be. Right? I love it. All right. So um, you get to, seriously, imagine getting on the, on the game. You get to play a game. Uh, you beat the odds. You win an amazing prize on The Price is Right. Which is uh, which is cool. Like in Canada, we don't pay taxes on that stuff. Now, down in the states, you have to pay taxes on your prize winnings, but uh, it still would be really great. Like, what would you what would you win? What would you want to win? Would it be a car? Maybe a trip. Mm. A trip would be nice. A full paid for trip. Kind of cool. Yeah, but with my luck, it would be like a trip to Vancouver. Well, <laughs> it's funny you say that. Because oh, there was no. a five-day trip to New Hampshire that was given away as a prize. Oh. It happened to a woman who got onto The Price is Right, and she was from Boston. <laughs> Her name was Catherine Graham, and she had exactly what Brendan's worst uh, nightmare on The Price is Right happened. She took it like a champ. You see Catherine come on down, bidding time after time throughout the show without success. But then on the last chance to bid, she was the closest and got her turn to win one of the big prizes. The game was side by side. All she had to do was use two sets of numbers to guess the right price and reveal the prize. And she did it. And her big prize was a five-night trip to New Hampshire. Not exactly the big destination people here in Massachusetts dream about. Drew goes, oh, that's great. Congratulations. New Hampshire's beautiful. And I go, Drew, I live in Boston. <laughs> and that's the thing. New Hampshire is beautiful. We all yeah. love New Hampshire. There is oh, nothing absolutely. Wrong with but I've been there a million times. I just wish it was that Tahiti or someplace. <laughs> you know, that's Bora Bora, someplace someplace warmer and more than an hour's drive away. Yeah, cruise around the world, maybe, you know. Congratulations. You won yourself a trip to Red Deer. You'll get first-class cursed and service from Calgary to Red Deer. Right? Congratulations. You won a trip from London, Ontario to Sarnia. Oh. <laughs> like, that's really what they're talking about, just so you know. That's from WBZ4. The trip included $1,000 and free airfare from Los Angeles. Oh. <laughs> she, she had to fly Did from you have Boston. to pay for the flight to Los Angeles, too? I couldn't find yep. that out. Oh. <laughs> and then she'd have to fly uh, to Los Angeles to get her free flight back up to New Hampshire. So her one-hour drive turns into about 12 hours of flying. Oh, life is beautiful that way. Which is like, I'm all for promoting local tourism. That's cool. That's fine. But this seems like on the lamer side of, of, I've seen people win boats. 
on the price is right. Come yeah. on. Corvettes, matching Corvettes, his and her Corvettes, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I yeah. So the map says it's about an hour and 11 minutes, 70 miles. Mm. Now, I would like to go to New Hampshire. Yeah, that'd be You know, fine. I mean, Massachusetts, I grew up watching Newhart. So anything mm. up in that area, um, in that whole little pocket of uh, the United States, almost Canada, to me would be amazing. I think that would be a fantastic little fall romantic getaway since we're talking romance here. That would be beautiful. I say that would be beautiful. Um, maybe not so much if you're um, from there. I mean, if you think about it, if someone lived in Vancouver and they got free tickets to the PNE, they're yeah. probably going to go. Well, I would maybe no, I, I wouldn't. I'd give them away. I mean, and I literally live within walking distance to the PNE. I'd, I'd give them away. Yeah, well, same thing in Calgary. Like, if we got free tickets to the Stampede, we'd be like, yeah, maybe. I'd, you want them? <laughs> the locals never want to go to the uh, the big touristy things, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, pretty cool story. Um, I do have to say, I'm a little surprised, Ryan, with you. Why? The most exciting part of that whole story of The Price is Right. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, it didn't click with me, but I guess that's exactly what sound was going off in her brain the second she found out she was going to New Hampshire. See, and this is why you can't have romantic dinners on the weekend, Ryan. No. Because you're all in a positive, lovey-dovey place, and you can't be in the place where we all need you to be, which is negative and cynical. You can't break me. Not yet. No. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, though. (laughs) See, I got the op. I can't get out of that place. (laughs) Are you okay with... Calling the plumber. Uh, Ryan, I think you should answer this because you had a big punami in your house last year. Almost probably like a year ago, like to the day. Uh, yeah, my uh, my apartment, my old apartment flooded with sewage. And that was an emergency call to my landlord who then had a very emergency call to the plumber who got there fast. And I watched as they successfully cleaned out my apartment of like an inch of sewage water which was like probably top five most awful things i've ever had to deal with but all was fine i hope i never have to call a plumber again because seriously anytime i hear a bubble regardless of where i am i'm afraid i'm gonna get sprayed with sewage water like that's it's yeah exactly it's just residual what was that there was a time we were camping. It was my buddy Stag. We were in Invermere, BC. And we had a, a, a cabin. One of the guys had a family cabin and everybody stayed there, pitched tents outside and stayed inside and whatever. And somebody plugged the toilet. Now it was a septic field kind of toilet. So it needed to be cleaned very, very badly. Um, but I mean, when you have like 12 guys staying in a cabin, not a big surprise. Of course, it was the weekend and it was summertime. And they called the plumber and the plumber came and he, um, he fixed it. And I said to him, I said, how's that? (laughs) And he's like, oh, there's worse ways to spend an hour. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, but you're like in toilets. He goes, ah, he swore (laughs) up to your elbows and shh. Oh, isn't so bad. I was like, really? I don't know, man. I don't know if I see that one. And he said, he said, 
you idiots just gave me $500 because you plugged your toilet. I'm going home. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to drink a beer with $500. To me, that works. And he left. Hey, wow. <laughs> I respect that immensely. That is a, yeah. that's a that's a very good point about plumbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, on call, man. He made good money, and he was very proud of his work. Uh, this was a long time ago, by the way. I now understand the value of plumbers now that I've been a homeowner and all those things. Yeah, pretty fantastic people because they will do things that nobody else will do. They're like the firefighters of the trades. They will go to places where nobody else will go. When everyone's going this way, they go that way. So are you okay with calling the plumber? It's me, Mario. <laughs> I, th I think that was the wrong plumber. Sorry, I put 1-800-Nintendo oh. instead of my toilet's overflowing. Please help me. Sorry. That's All my right. bad. That's totally my bad. He could be our favorite plumber, too. Uh, they do the job that almost nobody wants to do. A drug dealer in Australia, for a strange turn of story, is regretting calling a lumber. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Missing a See, I like when the typos are like that. We're still talking about the trades, though. So yeah, we there are. We go. Yeah, that's a typo. Okay, <laughs> a drug dealer in Australia is regretting calling a plumber. Why? Because that broken toilet appointment led police to find over five hundred pounds of crystal meth uh, and one point one million dollars. Here's how that happened. When a local plumber was called to fix a leaking toilet at this Canterbury unit block, this certainly wasn't the bust he was expecting. I don't think any worker or any tradesman really anticipates um, going to work on a given day and, and, and tripping over hundreds of kilos of drug and cash. 220 kilograms of drugs and over a million dollars in cash were uncovered on Minter Street in July last year. A portion spotted in a cupboard by the tradie after he was granted access to the unoccupied unit by the building manager, more hidden in cardboard boxes and a lock-up garage. Those particular tradesmen have done the right thing, um, have contacted police. It's believed the unit was being used as a safe house for a large drug syndicate. Very unexpected. We've got kids and families and a lot of older people live here. We'd never expected that someone would use this kind of premises for such activities. I love how the reporter just said tradey. The tradey did the right thing. That's kind of cool. Since the search and seizure in July last year, the investigation has rolled on, and today police have released CCTV man uh, CCTV footage of a man they believe could help with further inquiries. So this oops uh, has turned into a big oops that I'm sure someone's going to pay the price for. Are you okay with flowers, Layfleur? Oh, it's the best day for flowers. It is flower day. I have flowers tattooed always... on me. I see that. What is this? so now? I've seen this tattoo a million times, but I don't know if you yeah. ever told me why the flowers. Uh, they're the type of flowers Morrissey would whip around on stage when he performed with the Smiths in the eighties. You know what I love about you? No shame. <laughs> the fact of all the times I've teased you, but teased you about the Smiths, and with full confidence, you just told us what that tattoo was all yeah. about. That's I'm, I'm very confident in it. I think it looks yeah. great. Yeah, show me again. Would it be, a, it's would hard it be okay to? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. Obviously, yeah. when we've gone out and stuff. But um, mm -hmm. would you be okay to show that on the Facebook page? Would you take yeah, it of course, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Did you take a screenshot there? You're gonna put. Can you just blank my face out on the on the show? No, no I didn't. No, take no. A I have a oh, proper right. picture. Take a picture. Don't worry. Oh, okay. No good. one will see yeah, your face. Just, You're good. Yeah. 
Good. <laughs> you, yeah, you okay? <laughs> You're to take, take a drink of water. Oh. I, I, do, I like flowers. Uh, I'm going to go pick some because we've got them growing here already. Ha! I w- <laughs> take that, rest of Canada. Uh, ooh, speaking of that, by the way, uh, Handy Andy Barrar, tonight on the shift when he comes on, I think he's going to talk about some of his... He was taking a tour online on his website about some, um, which is handyandymedia.com. His greenhouse has started, which is cool. So he just made me think of that. Yeah. Don't worry. If we put Brendan Kelly on the Facebook page, we'll like scribble some hair, like there's some coily hair, like when you scribble a coil on someone. Okay. We'll make it look yeah, good. thanks. Well, I always feel like when Valentine's Day, I have to say this, right? I mean, I don't like Valentine's Day, but then I love Valentine's Day. We shouldn't need Valentine's Day, right? Like 365 days of the year, we should be grateful for the people that are around us all the time. But at the same time, if it makes us pause for a day to, you know, say something that we probably wouldn't normally say, yeah, we should, we need to say it. So it's kind of a love-hate thing I have. The people who sell the cards need Valentine's Day. Right. And the chocolates. Yeah. I guess I just don't understand um, uh, that. But I mean, really in life, we just need to take away that we absolutely need to say the things we need to say to people all the time. We can take that away from Valentine's Day. It's a day to be kind. It's a day to do something different and try something different. And hopefully we say the things to people that matter to us because we need to say those things because you never really know. So, um, but here, here's a question. Have you ever considered flowers to be garbage, like litter? To no, me, no way. Even if, no, definitely not. They still look good even when you have to throw them in the garbage when they die. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that like on the side of the road, like you'll see people put them on the, like places maybe take them out of the plastic and leave the bunch there with an elastic on it or something like that to reduce the garbage look of it. But really, uh, this is this is in the story somehow, uh, flowers as litter. A man grieving the loss of his fiance after she died in a car crash last year. This is kind of unbelievable. Winchester Hagen said that Hannah Ford uh, hated cut flowers, so he created a flower box with living flowers to place on her grave, which to me is really cool. I, I think that that is a great way to go. As an old man... I would love to have nothing but um, fresh-cut flowers around, right? Not store-bought, just fresh-cut, no matter what's growing in the garden. Yet this story about this guy, in, as a tribute to his fiance that passed away, was considered to be litter. Hagen's built a flower box filled with her favorite flowers and decorated it with pictures of the two of them to put by her grave. He spoke with the city to ask if he was able to place a flower box by her grave. The people in the city told me that yeah, they don't. They don't enforce that unless a family member asks for it to be to be removed. Last month, Hagens was arrested for littering after putting the boxes of flowers on her grave. Hannah's father, Tom Ford, signed the warrant for his arrest. Hagen said he was never contacted by Ford before he was arrested. The officer came over and said, hey, you know, Mr. Hagens, can you step out of the car? There's a warrant for your arrest. I was like, wait, no, no that's a mistake. there's no way. Winchester just wanted to honor his fiance and leave her with a beautiful flower box. Arrested. Arrested. <laughs> uh, WTVM9 for that audio. Had his father was contacted. He didn't say anything. According to the city of Auburn's website, outside markers and flowers are allowed, but they must meet city specifications. But they even said, like, you know, they, unless someone complains, they're just going to leave that there. I think it's a beautiful way to send a tribute. What a sad, sad story. What a, like, what a mark on the legacy of, of that person. Um, yeah, but I, I used to encourage, uh, grow flowers, cut flowers, give flowers. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. 
So why not do it? I did some wildflowers in my garden a bunch of times, so, so I have some seeds left in the soil. Even a couple years later, mixed in with my pineapples, I get wildflowers from time to time. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.